adventure. A word ringing with promise, with excitement, with newness. I'm Mikkel, the host to the Mama Adventure podcast, a resource for new moms who want to embrace themselves and their motherhood with intention and joy. Welcome to this space of sisterhood. Welcome to the Mama Adventure. All right, perfect. I'm so excited, Tia, that you were able to come on the show today. I, as I told you, I've been, I've been wanting to get you on here to talk about mental health more. And Tia is actually kind of um, a special guest in that she's the first guest on our show who's not a mom, actually, and but has a lot to share that I'm really excited about that I think is really, really applicable to moms and like to women and people in general. That's just good to know about for taking care of yourself and taking care of your mental health. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We're so excited. Um, let's jump right into it. Tell tell everyone to hear who you are, because I've known Tia for a couple of years now, but you're new to our show. So tell us a little bit about your background and and especially as in, well, my words, especially as it regards to mental health. Yeah. So I grew up here in Utah and I've lived here forever. I'm, I'll be moving to Hawaii very soon, but for now I'm here. And I, um, you know, grew up the oldest of five kids. I love everything creative. Um, and I first started having mental health problems at age five. Um, although I didn't realize at the time that's what it was. I have battled with OCD my whole life. And it went undiagnosed until I was 20. Um, because it wasn't the stereotypical OCD that a lot of people think of. You know, I wasn't hypervigilant about cleaning. I was a definite slob. You know, I had a lot mm-hmm. of, I didn't have any of the traditional, quote, um, signs of OCD. And so it was misdiagnosed for a really long time. Um, my OCD mainly was religious. I was, it's called scrupulosity. It's a fear of being immoral. And so I was constantly praying and studying from a really young age. And it wasn't, it was maladaptive, you know, it was done out of a place of fear. And so I, you know, this progressed and I experienced a lot of different threats. Um, OCD is unique in that it can really grab onto anything. Um, So, you know, I mentioned like it could grab grab onto cleaning and that's what you maybe think of, but it could also grab onto relationships or um, being harm OCD where you're worried about being kind to people, you know, it can really grab onto anything. And so I you know, battled with kind of all forms at various points in my life. Um, and then since being diagnosed, I was able to go and get some really intensive treatment. I went daily for four months to kind of battle this out. And now I am, you know, I went from severe to mild. So I still have a little bit left and it's going to be kind of, I think, a lifelong struggle. But now I'm able to be kind of an advocate for others. And um, as you mentioned, I'm not a mom, but I do have um, an affinity for speaking with mothers about this simply because um, I was so young when it happened. And I want moms to be able to know how to spot it in their kids and spot it in themselves if, you know, if they need to. And yeah, I guess that's kind of my background. Yeah, I love that. I 
something that really grabbed me and what you were saying too is like being able to like spot it in yourself. And I say that because my own mental health journey has been, it's ongoing, you guys. It It is. It, I'm, and I try to be kind of transparent about it, but I am in the midst of it right now because for three years, I, I didn't know that I had anxiety, but like I thought maybe I did. But for me, it was kind of a similar thing of being like, well, my anxiety doesn't look like how I, other people who I know who have anxiety, what it looks right. like. So I, I guess I don't really have it. You know, like I convinced myself that it wasn't real or I convinced myself that like, um, that, you know, like you just kind of convince yourself anything to like not admit that something's wrong or you need help. Because for me, that was a really hard step. And um, so it took three years of chickening out or swallowing my pride to finally now as a mom realize, you know what, like I can look back and be like for, well, three years is when I identified that like I was really like I needed help, but I can look back on honestly till since I was a young teenager to like see like patterns and behaviors and like things that I'm like, Oh no, this is not good. Like, let's, let's fix this, you know, let's help it. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the hardest things is being able to like recognize in ourselves and say, you know what, because everyone experiences um, anxiety or like depression from time to time and, and things like that. But like being able to look at like yourself and say, you know what, what I'm experiencing is out of the range of normal. And you know what, it is hurting me. And I, getting some extra help of some kind, whatever that looks like, like is necessary. I think that's kind of a hard step to make because it's hard to know like when you've gone beyond like typical human experience, you know, of like what's normal to feel. So like for you, like when did you know, like, you know what, like this, this isn't normal. Like when you were like, I'm going to get help with, with my OCD. Yeah. So I knew when I was 13 um, I could see people doing these just daily things, you know, like doing their homework and these little things that I just couldn't grasp. And I was like, something's wrong. Um, and at the time, like I said, I didn't know it was OCD. And so I decided to go get help. And I think that, I mean, as you mentioned, I think that was a really, it was a really hard decision because in my head, I was like, I can handle this alone. Right. And maybe you can, that doesn't always mean you should. Right. Um, I think oh yeah that, sometimes it's like you can handle it alone but your life will be so much better if you yeah. don't <laughs> yeah and it is an investment you know and it's investing in yourself and I thought of therapy for a long time as like a crutch right it was this thing that was going to weigh me down sure. um and in reality it was the opposite you know it was me owning up to the things I had control over and learning how to cope with the things I didn't have control over and so I started going to therapy when I was 13 and it was really bad for me. Um, this interesting thing about OCD is that there's, you know, very few forms of treatment for it and traditional talk therapy isn't effective. And so I think that's another piece of the puzzle is finding what works for you because I really quickly ruled out OCD and I'm sure there's even people, you know, listening who may have gone and they've, gone to a therapist once or gone even for a while and didn't feel the results and I think it's important to know that there's so many different ways of going about therapy you know it's not all just sitting and talking (laughs) there's a Mm -hmm. lot of different um, varieties and different therapists you know and so a huge part of that 
healing for me was finding those therapists and finding the people who are certified to work with OCD. I love that. Would you mind sharing? Like, do you like, so did you find a different therapist who still does like traditional, like talk therapy, like you said on the couch, or is it kind of like a different form of therapy that, that helps better like address like OCD? So for OCD, the main certified form of therapy is called exposure therapy. And in essence, you're going and you're taking, so I should explain OCD is, um, we all have the false or the alarm in our brain, right? So we have this alarm when there's fear, we go into a fight or flight response, um, and then we act accordingly. With OCD, that fight or flight response is coming up all day, at things that might seem benign or completely inconsequential and illogical a lot of the time. And you often realize this is not an illogical way of thinking, but OCD doesn't care for your logic about it, you know? And so you're in this constant fight or flight. And so the trick with exposure therapy is um, intervening before the action, right? So when you go into fight or flight, then you choose to either fight or flight. And in exposure therapy, instead you sit, right? And instead of running away from your problems, you're facing them. And so you're working individually with all of the different threats in your life. Um, And I should explain that too, I guess. So threats are just anything your OCD grabs onto. So for a lot of young or new moms and dads, that's their children. OCD is really good at grabbing onto what you care about. And so, you know, that's the most common thing when someone is pregnant or, you know, expecting. They are so, so, so often grabbing onto the OCD about their child. Um, And so exposure therapy for that would look like, you know, facing those threats and um, they do it in a very careful and um, what's the word, I guess, um, I don't know. They do it in a very careful way um, and give you tools to manage it. But in essence, what you're doing is you're facing the stress that you typically run away from. That's great. And it's so hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of what you're saying like rings true with me too and with kind of the things that that I struggle with and that that are hard for me and that like give me angst and the thing something that I think is really important that I want to share with the moms on this episode today is or to anyone who's listening if you're not listening if you're listening and you're not a mom welcome I'm so glad you're here like good for you like (laughs) welcome (laughs) but I um I think it's really important that we talk about like things like postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, right? Mm-hmm. Because those are those are really common and they they're very common. You definitely know several women in your life that have gone through those whether or not you know they went through it lot. It's it's a very big percentage. But yeah. something that I think you pull up to you that I think is significant is sometimes we have things going on inside of us in our our inner world that are already happening that latch onto new things when we become a mom. That is what happened in my experience when I had Warren, my son, because as I said, I've had anxiety for a long time. I just didn't like, it took me a while to recognize it. And then it took me a while enough to like do something about it. Right. Um, And so when I look back, I can see the things that were huge triggers for me and what they were when I was 12 is way different than when I was 17 or when I was like 21 in college 
or when I was dating my husband and now like as a mother, like you said, with like with OCD, for me, it was anxiety. It latches on to new things, you know, mm-hmm. and and that can happen. And so for me, I actually was like, oh, no, like I, I feel anxious in general. So I'll have to watch out for postpartum anxiety when I have Warren. And then when I have him, when I had him. I kind of like looked at my levels of anxiety and um, what actually happened is I'm like, you know what? I'm not feeling more anxious, so I guess I'm okay. But the truth was I was very anxious. It's just that my tolerance for how anxious I could be um, was really high because I'd been mm. anxious for a lot of years. And so I didn't recognize that I wasn't struggling with postpartum depression but or postpartum anxiety but my anxiety was starting to take new forms and it was starting to look about like thing instead of being things of what was going on in my life before um like suddenly it was about my son you know yeah. and, and so sometimes it doesn't look like having like something that just surfaces like baby blues postpartum anxiety and depression it can look like that and that's that's important and we have other episodes actually on this podcast about that as well but sometimes it looks like something that's pre-existing that is now like looks different you know it's about your child or or something else yeah no definitely I noticed um when I was in the treatment center it was a outpatient treatment center so I go for three hours a day um yeah but we had group therapy for one of those hours and I noticed so many of the people there were new parents um who had you know either had all of this brought on by the pregnancy which um, it's estimated that happens like three to 5% of all new mothers can experience um, perinatal OCD, um, even if they weren't diagnosed with OCD before. So I noticed that, but I'd also see, you know, a lot of dads that were in there and a lot of just parents who, who had OCD prior, but had watched their OCD shift and morph toward their children. Um, And I mean, like you said, I think that's super important to talk about. And um, I like how you mentioned that your tolerance was just high. I think that was the case for me too. You know, I was like, I'm pretty mild until I started getting down the symptoms. And then I was like, oh no, I just had a really high tolerance. (laughs) You know, I think, I think that's really common though. (laughs) You don't always realize um, how much you have to work on until you're working on it. Um, Yeah. And then it bursts out like a dam and you're like, wow, there was a lot in there. (laughs) No, definitely. Yeah. And so I want to maybe talk about that, the postpartum OCD or just when OCD morphs toward your children. Um, awesome. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. So that is actually the most commonly misdiagnosed and misunderstood of the perinatal disorders. Um, it's often diagnosed as um, postpartum anxiety. And in essence, what it is, is you have obsessions or intrusive thoughts Um And that's just anything that's persistent and repetitive. Um, And they can be thoughts or images and they're related to your baby. So they're super upsetting, right? And they're, you know, it might be your baby being harmed or a lot of different things. And typically when it is perinatal OCD, it's something that you've never experienced before. And so, you know, when you're having a baby and already going through the stress of that, that can be a super hard thing to combat when you're having all of these intrusive thoughts. And of course, those intrusive thoughts can exist with anxiety too. Um, It's interesting because a lot of these disorders are genetic, but they're triggered by stress. And so you might have a predisposition toward OCD, but not have it take full effect until you have a stressful event like 
having a child or having your spouse have a child. Um, a lot of times these obsessions are, you know, accompanied by a sense of horror and fear and shame. And that leads you to do compulsions where you might do things repetitive, repetitively to reduce and ease your fears. Um, so you might, you know, be cleaning constantly. You might always be checking the bath water. Um, you might, you know, you can really any number of things, any of those typical safety measures when done in an excessive and fearful mind um, can become harmful, right? So it might be it's yeah. a good thing to check your baby's bath water's temperature, right? But it's different when it's repetitive and so focused in fear. Um, a lot of the time, these intrusive thoughts can be um, really traumatic. A lot of moms have um, intrusive thoughts, even like sexually about their babies and things that they just do not want and would never act on. Um, or they'll fear, you know, they'll, for instance, they'll be changing their baby's diaper and wonder, is that appropriate? Was that okay? Um, they just get hyper-focused on these intrusive thoughts that are really contrary to their, their nature. And that's the funny thing about OCD is that, like I said, it, it triggers and acts on the things you care most about. And so the moms who have these thoughts are, you know, the least likely to ever act on it. You know, they're not about to do any of those things or to, um, and they hate the thoughts of harm befalling their baby. Um, but it's, it can be really debilitating. And I think the biggest thing is the shame. Um, and I'm sure too, with the anxiety that there was an aspect of shame involved of this, you know, we see so many wonder moms on TV or whatever, who are doing it all. And when you're not able to do that, I think it's really easy to feel like you've in some way failed or should be doing more. And I think that ironically, that sometimes drives people not to get help, you know, because they want to do it themselves and they feel like it's not um, fair, maybe for them to get help when yeah. in reality, it's the opposite. Yeah. And there are such huge triggers and, um, you brought up a really big one is like when you look on social media, I mean, it looks like everyone's got it together, you know, mm. <laughs> like even the moms who admit like to, Oh, I don't have it all together. Like often like their feed looks perfect and like color coordinated and, and it's awesome. And the thing is like, I actually really love following a lot of like mom accounts. So I'm not mm. like anti that at all, but it can be intrusive. It can be, if you're, if you watch how it affects your thoughts, lots of things on social media can be triggers for feeling like shame or feeling like inadequacy or it can just be triggers for like on the other side of not just like, like perfect mom accounts, but like, for example, a lot of things going on right now, like in, like in the news going on in the world can be triggers for fear of like, my, my baby is not safe. You know, like the world, this world that they're in, like is, is dangerous. It's not just like Definitely. my home, but it, there it's a scary place you know yeah and I think that there's a level of that that's really healthy you know it's important for you to obviously worry for your baby's well-being yeah um, that is a protective evolutionary measure that definitely. like we worry and check our baby and like a little level of anxiety keeps them safe you know right too much but anxiety when it's, when it's a false alarm and it's going off you know even when you've already checked the bath water and you're still feeling the stress you know it's times like that that you know there is something to be done and it's really cool that there's so many really awesome forms of therapy to help with yeah. that because I mean I've dealt with a lot of those obviously those intrusive thoughts um 
and it's scary. You, you're like, where is this coming from? This is so counter to anything I want to be thinking. Um, and that's, I mean, that's why they're called intrusive thoughts. They're literally intruding on your typical thought patterns. Um, yeah. Feels like your brain is like betraying you a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I think too, um, there's a lot of worry from moms about passing that on to their kids. Um, you know, or having, letting their mental illness inadvertently affect their kids negatively, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of shame there too. And so I think a lot of moms don't have those conversations and aren't like, hey, like I'm, I'm just a little bit more sad recently, you know? They, and I think that a lot of the time the shame and the hiding is, can be really confusing for kids. Yeah, I... Um... Something that we've talked about on this podcast before is really leaning into like difficult conversations with your kids, like pre-arming your kids to, so instead of like cocooning them and like pretending like something doesn't exist or it can't hurt them, like to talk to them and have those conversations. And I love that idea that like, if we can like open up and say like, yeah, like, I mean, there's, there's a level that you'll, you, you know, you won't show every share with them all your intrusive thoughts, but like being able to say like, like I'm having a hard time and like, I love you and I'm here for you and things like that. Like what you're doing is modeling for your kids, how to like, how to deal with things that are hard, whether it's a mental illness or just having like hard like emotions which they will have you know whether or not they struggle with their mental health which I I think everyone does we just don't always recognize it. I think we all like right. have our, our things right and you're modeling for your kids like how to handle it well you know definitely yeah and I mean you know if, if they see you that always running away from sadness for instance and hiding away and you know not talking about it they're going to do the same, you know, and they're going to associate those big emotions as negative emotions when they're not, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I I definitely think modeling is a huge part of that. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I want to, where would you say, let's back up a little bit in the terms of if a mom is maybe hesitating to go get help, maybe she knows that she's struggling with, with something and, or maybe doesn't even know if it, I think sometimes it's hard because we want to be like, oh, is it anxiety or is it depression right. or is it OCD? And I'm like, they they do overlap, you know, but you can tell sure. when something's wrong, something's off and that maybe you are having like intrusive thoughts or really struggling um, with feeling safe or like feeling just ex- excess fear. What what steps would you suggest to those moms? Like, what would you do first? Do you, would you talk to someone in your family? Would you look for a therapist? What's the first step in getting that, those resources to help you out? Yeah. So in reality, like, I think there's no right time to get therapy. Um, for me, you know, I was, I knew I was going into like a four month commitment. And so I was like, I better wait until things settle down. The reality is things are never going to settle down. Um, and so I think, giving yourself the time is the biggest thing. Um, And that might look different for everyone. You know, I think that does have to do with having conversations with family members and spouses and saying, you know, this is something I need. Um, And then, you know, there's a whole lot of online 
resources when it comes to finding a therapist that works for you. And I think that it's a totally healthy and normal thing to hop therapists till you find one that connects with you. Yes. Um, for sure. And I, I think a lot of the time, a lot of us would be right in therapy. Um, aside from the two excuses that I think a lot of people have. And I guess excuses isn't the right word, but two reasons many people have that they don't get help. Either they think they can do it on their own or that it's not the right time or finances. I think that's a mm-hmm. really big thing. And especially when you're a new mom and you're, you just paid all of the, you know, medical bills of having a baby and then you're paying for a baby and adding a new person to your income. I think that's a total valid reason, you know, for people not to want to get help. Um, but the good thing is that there's a whole lot of resources out there to enable you to get help, if, even if it's something you can't fully afford. Um, I've actually compiled a list of them. If anyone wants them, I can even send it to you. And if they message you or message me on Instagram, I can send it to them. Because Yeah, if, if you have a link, I'll include it in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because it's something that there are a lot of resources and a lot of therapists do pro bono hours. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a whole lot of logistical reasons to say no, but the biggest thing is that you need to say, um, I I guess I should say a lot of those logistical reasons can be sorted out. The things that you need to work on are your internal reasons for saying no. You know, if you had all the money, if you had all the time, is there any reason you'd say no? And I think that working on those um, is going to help you more than anything to get to a place where you're ready to accept it, even if it is, it takes a little bit of finagling to get, you know, things afforded or to find the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to kind of put um, my my own two cents in on this yeah. because um, my the huge base of people who do listen to this podcast are moms. And I just want to say that if, if you feel like you would benefit from that, but you're maybe hesitating from fear or finances or whatever it is, I, like I mentioned earlier, I resisted going to therapy for a couple of years. And a lot of my reason was I, I could do it on my own. Also finances, both of those reasons you listed, mm-hmm. but also because like I doubted whether it was real. And, and I just came up with reason after reason after reason not to go. Like I'd have a really rough day and be like, I should go to therapy, but then the next day would be good. And I'd be like, no, right. I'm fine. But what really hit and made it really impactful for me where I realized like now, now's the time I can't wait anymore was becoming a mother. I, it, it, it changed who it was affecting, you know, for years, the only people who even knew that my anxiety existed were like me, my sister and my best friend. Like no one, mm-hmm. no one knew really. And then later my husband, you know, and all of a sudden I realized that my anxiety was impacting my marriage. It impacted because my husband didn't want to add to my anxiety, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, it was impacting like Maybe if he was stressed, well, he would tell me or and it was impacting my baby because I was with my baby all day. So if I had a really hard day um, and some days that looked like not being able to stop crying, which is the worst. But on those days, like I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to be this mom for my baby. You know, I want to feel joy. So 
my baby, like my baby was still feeling joy, but you know, all of a sudden I wanted to show up in a more full way for my family. So I think it's 100% valid and for everyone should like you fix your mental health for you, you know, like do it for yourself. But if you're one of those people who's kind of like a self-sacrificer, like maybe look around and think about the people who love you because like as a mom, like your kids want that for you. Your, your baby wants that for you. They just can't tell you in English. Your husband mm-hmm. wants that for you. Like if that helps in making that step, ha- helps realizing that like, hey, this is not selfish for me to prioritize this in the budget. This is not selfish for me to like make the time to get a sitter or all the things, all the hard logistical things to make it happen. Like that's not a selfish move. That is a move that's going to bless you. And it's also going to bless your family in the long run a lot. So like, don't, don't be afraid that you're being selfish. You know, you're not, you're, you're doing something that your whole family needs for you to do, to be your, your best, healthiest, happiest self. I love that. And no, I totally agree. I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I have to stay. I, I can't go and take an hour every day. I have to take care of the kids. But the reason that you're not going could be your reason for going. It could be for the kids, you know? And mm-hmm. the cool thing is I used to think of talk therapy even as like what it sounds like. You just go and talk to someone. But, you know, these are people who have studied this for years and years. They study mental health. They're not just like talking to you and listening, right? They're teaching you you know, interpersonal effectiveness. They're teaching you how to manage emotions, um, how to cope with different things that come up, how to recognize thought errors. There's so much valuable information that is also really cool that you can impart that to your kids. You know, you can teach them how to healthily manage the big emotions they feel. And you can, you know, use what you learn to positively impact your family, as you mentioned. Yeah, you're learning like good mental coping skills that you want your kids to have. And once you have them and you know how to do them, even if it's imperfectly, like you can mm-hmm. do that for your kids. You know, you can teach your kids meditation. How awesome is that? I'm actually so stoked about that. It's going to be I amazing. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> but like you can teach your kids like pause, like what are you thinking? Like how is it affecting your body? Like those principles are going to serve them so much because anxiety in kids nowadays is huge and the world That's is just getting is. more more stressful, you know, like this is a good example right now, like being in COVID doesn't just affect parents, it affects kids, you know? Oh, yeah. And adds a ton of stress. I was talking to my little cousin today and she was really bummed and I couldn't figure out why. And after talking with her for a while, I realized that she was like really struggling because she missed her friends, you know? And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's these little things, but that's super real. And that's a really big emotion, you know, for her to be feeling. And so I think that, you know, these kids are being grown up in a really unique time because they're facing a lot of hard things. I mean, like the world gets crazier every day and anything you can impart to them when in the vein of healthy relationships and healthy communication and healthy emotional reasoning is, is everything. You know, that's what they need. Yeah. So I want to ask, because you, I remember being able to see like patterns in my anxiety back when I was like a young teenager. And you mentioned that, I think you said you were five, right? Mm-hmm. So do, do you feel like you had the skills to know how to manage it back then? And if not, like what, what do you wish that you had had known? Because like, it's not like, oh, we get these things as adults. Like we get these things as kids and then we get 
to adulthood and realize that we're all a little bit messed up, you know, yeah. that we all have some stuff in our brains. No, definitely. So, so like, did you feel like you had those resources? I didn't. Um, and pediatric OCD is really common. It can also, it can be genetic, but it could also just come up if you get strep throat. You can have a sudden onset of OCD and a lot of kids, it's called pandas or pans. A lot of kids will have an infection and then it doesn't have to be strep throat, any infection and then suddenly develop OCD. Um, mine was more gradual, but it started, I remember it starting at five, but my parents remember it starting at even earlier. Um, and so for me, I'd be spending a lot of time um, praying like hours on end and scripture study. And um, I didn't know um, how to combat it. And so I would use logic, you know, cause that was something that was really common in my household was talking things out with logic and that's not going to happen, you know? Um, and that can be really effective for some disorders. Anxiety, for instance, can um, find a lot of benefit when using logic, but OCD doesn't. And so, you know, I think I wish that someone had looked at what I was doing. And even though they were healthy looking things like studying scriptures or um, saying sorry a lot or saying thank you a lot, even though those looked healthy, I wish they would have seen the excess you know, and seen the, they couldn't really see the fear behind it, I suppose, but I wish they would have seen just the amount of time. I think when any kid is using, is doing anything, even if it's a healthy thing for an extended amount of time, um, I think there's value in asking why, you know, and finding those reasons. Um, And so I really didn't have any way of coping with it. And I don't, you know, I mentioned, I wish someone had caught it, but I don't have any blame that they didn't. I was really good at hiding it. Um, but yeah, I grew up kind of trying to use logic and just worsening it until it got to the point where I was really debilitated by it. And, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of hope for therapy because it was so, I mean, I couldn't leave my apartment when I started um, going to therapy. I just was at a breaking point and I didn't think anything would get me out of it but I started to go and started to learn and started most of all I think one of the most important things for me was seeing other people in my same situation and dispelling a lot of the shame I had um and I started doing exposure therapy and facing all my biggest fears and it was the hardest thing I ever did and it took up like I said a lot of time a lot of resources a lot of money but it was the best investment I could have ever done it changed everything for me and those tools are things that I wish I had younger um because it would have I mean it would have changed the game and so I think that there's a lot of value in noticing a problem you don't have to self-diagnose I think we try to do that we try to say oh it's this before we go and find a specialist we but go talk know, to Dr. Google. Right. <laughs> um, but you can totally just go to a therapist and talk about your symptoms and ask for a referral if there's someone you don't like or if they don't work with whatever condition they think might be going on. It doesn't have to have a label too. It can just be general um, for mental health, right? But you know, you can ask for a referral and you can find someone else. And it's I think we often think that we we know everything 
when it comes to our mental health, but there's so much more we have to learn about ourselves and about the way we think. And that just never ends. Yeah. I really look at like the brain as like the ocean, you know, like we know really so little about the ocean. Mm -hmm. We think we were like all the things we do know are amazing. You know, like understanding how the brain works is amazing. Understanding what we know about the ocean is amazing. But there are just like these miles and miles, of these like deep, dark waters or like in our brains, like this, um, like this, all this stuff that we don't know, like whether it's how it works neurologically or how like psychologically things connect. Like we know a lot, but there's so much that it's just like yet to be uncovered, you know, yet to be understood. Yeah. Like we are yeah. far from understanding everything. No, definitely. And I think we often think like, you know, why would a stranger know something about my brain that I don't, you know, mm-hmm. we have this, like, we assume that we, we know the most about our brains and I think in a lot of regards we do but there is something to be said for the people who have you know studied this their whole lives and you know done all sorts of different research on the way that your brain works um I was amazed at how much I had to learn from a therapist and maybe Mm -hmm. that sounds silly but I really was just like all they're gonna do is talk and validate right no (laughs) there's so much more to it than that and I love that analogy of the ocean. I think it's totally true. And like a big part of going to therapy is like getting the, it's like if you don't understand your brain, like getting the tools to understand your brain, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's like, it's getting diagnosed and like learning about how it works. So like, I, I love approaching it like that way of like going in with curiosity instead of fear, you know, like why, why does this happen? Why do I react this way? Why is this a trigger for me? Why is, why, why? Like go in curious with a lot of like love and grace for that like inner child, that like inner world of yourself that reacts in sometimes a really like kind of like tender and um, vulnerable ways to certain things. Like go in like curious and like ask why, like, and then be gentle with yourself and gain the tools you have to, to, I want to say like be strong because that's true, but it's not just be strong. It's not just like, like power through it, but it's like to understand yourself and like handle those big emotions in a, in a good way, you know, that's not, not suppressing things. That's not triggering like habits that aren't helpful, but that is really helping you progress and feel free, you know, and not feel burdened by whatever is burdening you. Definitely. No, for sure. Yeah. I think, I knew something was wrong for a very long time, but it wasn't until like someone else brought it up that I was like, okay, something's really wrong, right? Like my dad was like, we were talking about some of the things I did and he was like, that's not normal. So I think it's important that you trust your gut too. If you're like, I don't know how people are doing this basic thing. Like this doesn't work for me, you know, going in with curiosity, like you said, and talking to someone who might know why you're doing that thing. Cause I just, I often just thought I just need to push through it. You know, like I, so for instance, my room has always been a mess and I couldn't clean it and I could never figure out why it was the most emotional thing for me. And it wasn't until I got diagnosed with OCD that we were able to realize that it's because I knew I could never clean it perfectly and my OCD wouldn't allow that. And so it just would rather me not do it at all you know? And so it was that basic thing that I remember being like a kid and Googling all the time, how do you clean your room? Like I couldn't figure it out. And so if you're having something in your life, that's just like 
I cannot figure out, you know, communication. I cannot figure out X, Y, or Z. Trust yourself on that, you know? And I think there's power in pushing through and being resilient, but that's what therapy is too. It's giving you the tools to push through and be resilient. And when I, when I got diagnosed, I promised myself I'd never use it as a crutch. And it's been really cool to think of it in that mindset to be in a center you know working through it every day it only just gave me the power to be more resilient and to fight even harder not once was it ever an excuse or a submission um I think that's a you know that's a personal choice because some people can use their diagnoses as crutches and in the past with my physical health issues I did um but you know, this is not a, going to therapy is not an act of submission. You know, it's an act of fighting. It's, it's you saying, okay, I'm humble enough to admit that I need an outside opinion on this and I'm ready to do what's necessary to change things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And knowledge is power. You know, like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that, that when we know and better understand why we do things and like where it's coming from and understand our brains. Like that gives us power to like not surrender to that, to, to those things, you know, to understand it. Like it, it's not a crutch. It, it, it's, it's, or it doesn't have to be, it's, it's power, you know, where you say like, okay, like I understand myself. I think that's one of the biggest gifts that we can invest in to give ourselves is to be able to say like, I understand myself and like the positives and the negatives, but I understand why I do these things and I know how to help myself. Like that's one of the biggest gifts that I think we can give to ourselves, but we can't always do it by ourselves. You know, we need often a little, a little bit of help from someone who has like studied those things and can give us insight. Definitely. Yeah. So one quick thing before we end, I, something I actually really love. So if you haven't seen, I'll, I'll link Tia's contact info in the show notes as well to go check out her Instagram and any any other places that Tia you want us to find you but something I really love about what you do because you really advocate for OCD and for mental health in general and something that I I really appreciate is I don't know how to put this it's not that you're like calling people out but a, a little bit and you're calling out certain behaviors about how we talk about OCD that are not mm. they're not they're not appropriate because it's not with a true understanding of what OCD is and it could be triggering for people who do have OCD and that's something I honestly did not know about until um until I met you and I think it'd be really valuable. Would you maybe explain a little bit? What are some of those yeah. misconceptions about OCD that people maybe don't realize? And so when they talk about OCD, like they, they don't realize what it really is. Yeah. So a lot of the time people will say, you know, I'm so OCD about that. Like I'm so OCD about being organized. Right. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard that at some point. Oh yeah. I've um, said that. <laughs> I said that. Before I got diagnosed, I used to say that all the time. And what it does is A, it's totally grammatically incorrect. It's saying, I am so disorder about that, right? Like, I am so asthma about the air today. Like, that makes no sense, (laughs) first of all. Mm -hmm. But also what it does is it spreads misinformation about what OCD is. It's almost always said in reference to cleaning or organization. 
And so, like I said, you know, that was the stereotypes that kept me from being diagnosed. And so every time someone says that, it further ingrains in people that that's what OCD is. And in reality, that's one possible threat it could attack. The other thing is that often people will say it in a positive light. And not a single one of my compulsions is something I enjoy, right? I hate when people say, you know, oh, this satisfies your OCD because the ironic thing about OCD is that it's never satisfied. Um, it is debilitating. And not once have I, like I said, been doing any of my compulsions or having any of my obsessive thoughts and thought, oh, this is so satisfying or, you know, this is something I enjoy. You know, I was fighting it tooth and nail every step of the way. And so I think there's a lot of things a lot of phrases like that in our society that might seem really, you know, inconsequential or small, but they do propagate misinformation and keep people from being able to fully understand the disorder. A lot of people think they have a full understanding of OCD because they've seen it on TV and they've heard phrases like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, countless times I would say something about my treatment and someone would say, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm so OCD too, um, just like Monk. Um, Adrian Monk from the TV show, you know, and mm-hmm, yeah, you know, there was just they had thought they had they thought they had understood the whole thing, and as I mentioned, that's something I used to think too. But the more you learn about it, I think whenever you learn about something new, you have to kind of, you know, reframe and reword things, and so that is something that I once I understood that OCD is what I was dealing with, I. I finally understood how inaccurate that statement was. Um, Yeah. You know, because I was saying about things I enjoyed that had nothing to do with my OCD. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I appreciate that you brought that up. I think it's, you know, we're all learning together. And like I said, that's something I had to learn, too. But Oh, yeah. Something I've said, like, many times until, like, I actually, when you, when I saw something you'd posted, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, you're right. Like, that's. And I kind of had to call myself out a little bit because I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to rephrase things, you know, because yeah. we are, we're all learning. And I'm a big advocate for mental health. And a big part of the show is advocating for like moms and women to like take care of their mental health in different ways. And I think part of taking care of mental health is a huge part of it is taking care of our own, but also we've got to yeah. recognize taking care of other people too. And so I think that starts with understanding, like, you know, really, really understanding in this situation, like what OCD is, what it's not, and just, you know, being, being wise and tactful about, about how we talk about it, you know, because for us, it, if you don't struggle with it, it, it's not like maybe a big deal, but for someone who does struggle with it, like it can be, that's, it, like, it can be debilitating, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not exclusive to OCD either. There's, you know, a lot of times people will be like, oh my gosh, I have PTSD from, I don't know. The, from XYZ, whatever from it was. Yeah. Silly, you know, from eating too many burritos at Taco Bell. And I, I don't know, like they'll say something silly. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we just aren't sensitive about as a community, right? Like, it, I don't think it's a personal choice, right? Like, we're not like, oh, I'm going to be purposely insensitive because. Oh, no, it's totally cultural. Yeah. It, it makes sense why you shouldn't say it, right? But mm-hmm. it's totally cultural. And yeah, I feel. The more we understand other disorders, the more, A, um, 
kind we are to each other and B, the more we're able to recognize signs in our loved ones um, that might have gone unrecognized and recognize signs in ourselves too and be able to help enable each other to get the help that we need. And so, you know, I we talked a lot about a lot of different things here, but, um, and I don't know that I did an adequate job explaining OCD. So if anyone is, if any of that made sense to anyone or struck a chord either in noticing behaviors in themselves or in others, um, like I talk a lot more about it on my um, feed. And so if anyone is in that boat, I'm more than happy to chat with them. That's amazing. And actually, as we end today, I'd love um, for you, where can people find you? Let's let's give them that info because um, I know you do like enjoy helping people who have those questions. Where can people find you and contact you, Tia? Yeah, so mainly just Instagram. It's Tortilla Wilson. Um, I do most of my posts there. And then I think I mentioned earlier, I have, um, I've made a guide for OCD that I'm more than happy to send to anyone who is, you know, curious about learning more or who, like I said, recognize any of those symptoms in themselves. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks for being here and tune in next week for another episode of the mama adventure. Thank you.